Hello and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and today I am delighted to welcome What About Vietnam's Kerry Newsom, currently based in Australia, where we are going to talk about life in Vietnam, what about Vietnam, and more of what Vietnam has to offer going forward. I'm looking forward to this one. How are you, Kerry? Welcome. Uh, thanks very much, Connor. I'm really looking forward to the show, especially being on this side of the fence rather than on the other as per normal. Yeah, it's quite weird, isn't it? When you get interviewed and you think, oh, I'm not directing the conversation here. It almost feels slightly, I don't know, slightly odd. I, I'm still adjusting to it myself when I go on the other side. Uh, yeah, well, you know, give me a score at the end and let me know how I go. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. I'm sure it'll be great. You go is your relationship with Vietnam, Kerry? Just to get a brief overview, when did you first come to Vietnam? Okay, so I came in 2007 and I was part of like one of the very early kind of travellers to Vietnam. In fact, people, my family and friends said, gosh, you're going to Vietnam like I was going to some war zone still, you know. <laughs> so I was a real pioneer. Uh, but there was a lady called um, Maeve O'Mara and she was running uh tours to Vietnam, food tours in particular, because uh, she ran a show on the ABC called Food Safaris. You might have seen it or heard of it. And, uh, yeah, so I went with that, uh, and that was just your typical top to bottom, start in Hanoi, finish in Ho Chi Minh kind of story. But I just fell in love with it. Just I, It just got to me. Yeah, I see. And I, I love the fact you've mentioned that back in, say, 2007, there would be the connotation of Vietnam as this completely random location or a war zone, because I feel like back then, and you can obviously clarify, it's absolutely nothing like this vibrant cosmopolitan place, especially Saigon, that we see currently. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I can give you an example um, in, the, in the city of Hoi An, uh, there is the Chubon River that runs through uh, the main town. Well, uh, the, the other side of the river, there was just shanties. There was, there was no restaurants. There was no night markets. There was no hotels. There was nothing. There was just like, I, I felt like, why do they have a bridge? Because it actually goes nowhere and there's nothing there. Of course, uh, that's changed dramatically as there is a whole new life over the other side of the bridge and um it's just a totally different uh old town now yeah and i've almost got two questions in one uh the first one i'll ask and then i'll move to the second the first being what exactly was it about vietnam that made you fall in love with it look uh a couple of things happened for me during that first trip uh i met uh, an australian expat and uh, she was starting up or in the very early stages of a charity or an NGO in Vietnam, uh, looking to assist uh, or sponsor young girls in their education in Vietnam. And her name is Linda Byrne and the foundation is called the In Children's Education Foundation. And she, I just gel with her and because she was Australian, there was just so much she could sort of relate to me so that I could kind of better understand and see it uh, and see Vietnam through her eyes. So she was kind of pointing things out to me that that just helped with a little bit of relativity. So 
you know, meeting expats over, over there was kind of one thing. And then just the Vietnamese themselves. I, I met another uh, girl that I've also stayed friends with since that time. And just over that time, I've just grown further in love. So I, it was probably the people. And, you know, up until then, I'd done a fair bit of travel through Asia, you know, Thailand, the Philippines, Singapore, Hong Kong, et cetera. And I just never got the same vibe and feeling of welcome and warmth and caring that I did in Vietnam. So I thought, no, this, this is more me. This, I, I feel uh, safer. And I was certainly doing a lot more travel solo at that time. So yeah, that, that kind of kept me coming back. I can imagine so. And the second part of that question was now that it has changed so dramatically from 2007 to 2022, where you have all these new things such as the Hoi An Bridge we referenced, Phu Wok has taken off in that time. We have Moine, which is very popular. Ho Chi Minh, completely different ball game. Can imagine Hanoi is similar. How has your relationship with Vietnam changed from perhaps 2007 to now? based on all of the changes it's gone through, has it been impacted in any way? That's a really big question, Connor, because there's kind of life up to COVID and then there's life after COVID. Uh, I mean, my relationship changed uh, with Vietnam probably most predominantly in 2016. And one of the trips that I did back, I, I did a long stay. I, I stayed for a month and I actually moved into a situation where I got offered a job and I was offered the job to sell a major hotel group, a Vietnamese hotel group that was literally building uh, from the ground up at the time in Hoi An. And they had on their drawing board to build five hotels, which they did. And because I had a flight centre uh, background, I'd kept all my contacts um, in flight centre over the years. I mean, it's a pretty clicky industry, the tourist in tourism industry. And um, working with some, you know, pretty influential people, I was able to win the flight centre account. So I kind of went from a, a, a travel tourist, you know, just explorer to a little bit more of a business relationship. So... I'm not answering your question directly, but I guess I started to view Vietnam through different eyes from a more tourism and tourist aspect. And that changed uh, the way I looked at the landscape and what was happening in travel and how the travel boom was about to take off. And just to give you some relationship to the travel boom. So in 2019, the, the Vietnamese government reports that they will receive something like 18.3 million tourists into Vietnam. And, you know, the rate from 2007 to 2018 was dramatic. It was just exponential. Uh, there was buses on buses. They couldn't even fit the buses into places like Hoi An. They had to park them outside the town and ferry people in on, on like, golf carts, et cetera, and, and cyclos. And then COVID hit and COVID hit and it dropped to 3.8 over two years. And that was only due to business development and 
of course, diplomats and government officials, et cetera, that made up that uh, small amount of 3.8. Now we're at 2022, the doors are open as of March. So, you know, it, it's, it's, a new, it's a new landscape again because not everything survived COVID. And I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm back in September. I have to see it with my own eyes now. Yeah, absolutely. And we are going to talk more later in the conversation about what that means for tourism going forward in Vietnam 2022. But can I get your reaction to COVID? Were, were you based in Australia when COVID hit back early 2020? And how was your reaction to the developments? Well, it was funny. Uh, I was actually in Vietnam uh, up until the 19th of March 2020. So I was over there uh, on a trip. Uh, I used, I, I was doing two to three trips per year up until that point between 2016 and 2020. And uh, I was due to leave on the 29th to come back to Australia. But my husband was saying to me, uh, look, I think this thing called this COVID thing, I think uh, it's, it's, it's going to take over the world and they're going to name it a, as a pan pandemic and uh, the country's going to shut you out if you don't come home. Now, by that stage in 2020, I had been working and I still do work for what they call a Vietnam uh, inbound tour operator. So that's a Vietnam destination management company. And my boss in Hanoi was saying, Kerry, look, I know things are kind of a little bit nervous here in Vietnam at the moment, but I think they're going to shut the, shut the doors and I think Australia is going to shut you out as well. So we need to get you home. So I literally got on, you know, one of the last few flights to get back to Australia. And I, I've, got to, I've got to admit to you, Connor, I was in denial. I was like, mm. I, I don't believe this. I, I just cannot believe that this, this is happening. And, you know, while it was the 19th of March, uh, on the way to the airport, to Da Nang Airport, you know, my driver got pulled over and I got uh, tested for a temperature test, et cetera. And I'd heard some gossip that there was people uh, and backpackers, et cetera, that they'd kind of um, put in some hotel or some kind of uh, Vietnam establishment and were kind of ferrying food into them because they were worried that they were transmitting. I mean, there was real like feeling that the, the tourists had brought the disease to Vietnam. So if you weren't wearing a mask walking around in those days, and thankfully between the hotel group and my boss, I was taken very good care of, but you know, there was, there was a lot of, um, nervousness in the in the air so to speak you know it was it was quite scary I can imagine and from what happened then you know you flew back to Australia you were able to get through that I guess ordeal in the initial stages what happened next is in obviously tourism was hugely affected your industry due to COVID so what happened for you I guess from a personal and professional sense once you were back in say April 2020 yeah, so I got back and, of course, Australia did close the, the doors and uh, Vietnam at that stage, really for most of 2020, was in a good place. It was, uh, the numbers were very low. 
the the country was really dealing with it very very strictly, but uh, certainly life pretty much as normal. Uh, you know, expats were being asked to to go home to to leave the country if there was any uh, confusion as far as their visa status was concerned. Um, but for the most part, you know, Vietnam was okay. It was just that the rest of the world wasn't. So my boss, uh, you know, I have a very good relationship with my boss. And I just said, well, I don't think I'm going to be uh, selling any tours into Vietnam from Australia uh, in the foreseeable future. What do you want me to do? And she said, well, because you've got a marketing background, would you be, you know, open to move your headspace into marketing so we can keep our brand and our messaging and our uh, communications up during this time. We wait and see what happens. So that's what I've been doing for the last two years. I see. And what does that actually entail? Say for somebody who isn't familiar with marketing or can't quite understand how you would be able to do that when you don't have access to Vietnam, unless in special circumstances, what sort of things have your job entailed since 2020 up until this point that we speak currently? Okay, so the main part of my job is to keep our communications with our current database. So that would involve uh, creating newsletters, updating COVID reports so that we keep our customers informed so that they are aware of the status and just how the country was performing uh, in that way so that you know, if there was any groups or if there was any plans or anything already in vogue that they knew how to advise their clients because, you know, it, was, it didn't kind of go snap, crackle, pop uh, all in one day. It kind of crept up on everybody and every country was in varying stages of COVID until probably, you know, late 2020 when it was apparent that it was, uh, all over the world and it was pretty serious and and until we got the um, the vaccination status and things like that so it was really important for me to keep communication so that was the first thing so communicating with our customers creating newsletters uh, creating blogs uh, and working with operators uh, still in the country dealing with it in addition to that, we had a so we have a social media platform, so uh, making sure our branding and our messaging there was still strong because you know there was a lot of companies over the ensuing months that have just kind of um, uh, dropped off the earth. You know they they weren't able to survive for varying different reasons, and it's been really tragic, really tragic. And, you know, while we have been able to maintain a very small business as we support Vietnam Airlines, the company I work for, um, that, uh, you know, it was important that we stayed on the radar, so to speak. So social media was a very big part of that. And then, of course, in addition to that, there was just creating the right messaging. So on our website, making sure that the information on there was up to date, and uh, if we were looking at developing new plans and new tours, et cetera, we got into working what those new tours would look like and designing those. So we did a lot in the technological side in the background because for the first time, we actually had time to work uh, on the business and on the business model. So we were able to improve that uh, as well. So, you know, very broad spectrum, but uh, it kept my hand in. And 
it was also the time, it was actually May 11th, 2020, that I decided a good way for me to keep my personal profile in the Vietnam space would be to create a podcast. And by doing the podcast, I would be able to keep connected and have a really good reason to stay connected if I was to connect with previous travellers, operators um, and guides, et cetera, uh, in the country so that people could keep Vietnam on their radar, I guess, so to speak, uh, for the future when we were over the, the COVID situation. Absolutely. And talk to me a bit more about the podcast, please, Kerry. What about Vietnam? How has it developed since you began on May the 11th, 2020? Well, it's it's really developed some legs, to be honest. It's uh, it's It's gone much further than I thought it would. I, I must admit, in the beginning, there was a huge lear- learning curve for me in the sense of learning some new technology. Uh, I knew that I was going to be up against the situation where 99% of my guests were going to be remote. So I was going to be talking to somebody who had traveled to Vietnam that either was still in Vietnam or had been to Vietnam and had since gone back to their country. I mean, I've spoken to people who, you know, have done river cruises up the Mekong, but it's, you know, I was talking to them in Portugal because they just got home. I, I was talking to one guy who took some fabulous photos of Hazang and had a fabulous trip and just spoke about that area so eloquently. Um, but he was back in the US as well. So um, the challenge around technology was was there, but I, I really wanted to create a very polished product and I wanted it to be informative and, I, and I'm sure you're up against this as well is that you want it to be interesting but you you know you don't want it too serious and you you want it to be fun and just relatable so people can kind of yeah relate to it I guess and could say oh yeah I, I could see myself doing that or no maybe not going for you know to a snake restaurant for lunch uh, with a bottle of champagne no no I don't <laughs> think that's me that sort of thing if you know what I mean no I do yeah making it relatable for the listeners and also connecting with the guests is there a does it change from guest to guest for example you might get a couple who gone up along the Mekong then you'll have someone from Hanoi someone from Da Nang does it differ from people across the country in different areas or would you say there's a typical profile of someone you would interview no there's no typical absolutely no typical like uh, and that's, I think, one of the, or I'm hoping, one of the, the joys of the program is that each program is unique, each, each show is different, and people are not going to know what to expect. I haven't kind of purposely done that. I've wanted to surprise and, and bring new aspects of Vietnam to the, the show, as in, I didn't want to just talk about destinations. You know, they can go to a guidebook and they can go to Google for that. You know, type in Sapa, type in Hanoi. It'll give you all the stats, the population and, you know, Hokey and like. So I wanted to add in experiences. I wanted to talk about what, what have people done that was interesting or what should people look out for or, you know, yeah, just maybe the must do. Is it kid friendly? You know, is it good for solo people? What about that river cruise? Was it, 
Did that feel safe? Um, you know, like I really wanted to kind of mix up the destination, the guest and the experience all in the one show. Absolutely. No, I definitely understand the variety aspect. I tried the exact same with comeback because I don't want the listener coming to the episode thinking that they know who's going to be on or they can tell what's going to come up. I'd rather the, the, the mystery aspect and an element of surprise. However, do you see any patterns emerging with your guests? As in, do people say similar things alongside the concept of Vietnam and what to experience if you're in a certain place? Are there any patterns that you spot or is it quite difficult to gauge with such a variety? Good question, Connor. That was a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I might be accused of a pattern that I see developing in the sense that most people have got good things to say about Vietnam. I mean, there's a few that have had a few grimaces about things and I certainly want to keep it real. You know, I don't, I don't want people to go, oh, like it was fantastic when it really wasn't, you know, if it was okay or the, you know, you, you know, they were a bit disappointed because there was a lot of rubbish and, you know, there was a lot of um, that sort of feeling, but it, it, it's different because my guests vary from age, from their relationship to Vietnam. Some might be guides, some might be previous travellers, some might work for a wellness company, some might be uh, a massage therapist, some might run cooking schools, uh, some might decide to live there because they went to visit and found that they love the place. I mean, a recent guest of mine is talking about art in Vietnam. I mean, when you go to a gallery, do you really know what you're looking at when you're looking at some of the, the art in that gallery? What is some of the symbolism, you know, um, aspects like that? So it, I can't really say there's a trend, but if there is a, a certain appetite for the, the typical guest, it's probably ones that have got, you know, positive things or uplifting or, you know, good things to say about Vietnam. For sure. And this might bring me to ask about your personal experience, Kerry, uh, your personal experience of Vietnam. What have been some highlights for you in terms of living and working here? Uh, look, I, I've had some I've had so many lovely experiences. As I said, I've been traveling back and forth, uh, you know, two or three times a year. I do long stays each time. So I'm there probably two to three months a year. So I'm almost like the, the part-time expat <laughs> and I get accused of that in places and they go, oh, you're back. But they probably think I just live down the road, but, you know, I haven't seen them for a couple of, a couple of months. But uh, I, I, I loved a place called Barbie Lake. I don't know. Have you been? I haven't been there, no. Well, um, that, was, that was a small trip I did in uh, 2017. And it's such a beautiful place. It's, it's almost like this, um, it's, it's a challenge to get there. It's about a five-hour trip from Hanoi. But the Barbie Lake area the, is just so special. It's got caves where you're, you, there's probably only you and four people there. It, the, the lake itself and the area is so untouched. It's just hard to believe that time has happened and it somehow missed that place. Mm -hmm. So Barbie Lake is 
probably one of my uh, most beautiful, serene, tranquil experiences. I mean, I've had a fabulous time in Hoi An and watching Hoi An grow. Uh, it's, it's certainly developed over time and, and become richer with experiences. Um, it's, I'd say Barbie Lake is probably one of my, my, my best so far, but um, yeah, a lot still to go. For sure. And going towards the comeback theme and almost the opposite of that question, living abroad, especially in Vietnam, has so many positive aspects to it, but it also brings its challenges. What have been some of the most difficult parts for you about living in Vietnam for the period that you have? Well, remembering that I only travel on a tourist visa, so I'm essentially not living in Vietnam, be it that I go for a month each time. Uh, you know, I might go in March, I might go again in July, August, and then I might come back in October. So uh, I haven't kind of had that living experience because I'm mostly staying in hotels, resorts, etc. Uh, homestays. So I'm not actually living and having to do the living experience because as I'm sure you would have a lot to share on that, Connor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's been three years now and there is definitely it's trials and tribulations, but overall it's good, but it can be quite tricky perhaps making the sacrifices of living away from home and being involved in a community where there's still that different mindset on so many different yes. areas where I'll speak to my Vietnamese friends and for, they won't ever criticize their government whilst back in the UK, it's very common to criticize the government and just little things like that, to be honest with you, can make it slightly tricky at times, but overall it's a worthwhile experience. Yeah. But big it's, 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 I'm, I'm sure life changing for you on a lot of levels. Yeah, no, I can definitely say that, especially coming here as I turn 22 and being 25 in August, spending your early 20s in Saigon. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, to be honest. I, I probably would recommend. Yeah, but there's definitely things to look out for. I find a lot of the time it can be, and I don't mean to hijack the podcast here, it can be opportunity versus escapism, where Saigon can offer so many different things for good or for bad the opportunity or escapism comes up as a huge theme for me when I associate with the hundreds and hundreds of people I've met here as the two primary reasons for people to move and then make their avenues throughout here. Yeah, but you're right about the mindset too. You know, you can't expect them to think like a Westerner to relate to any of those things. So, you know, just because of their history, because of the way they act, you know, it, it, it would be an eternal learning experience. I know even working with Vietnamese uh, and even though they can speak English, they, they can't, they can't really comprehend what, what are the, what are, what is the meaning between the lines? If mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, no. And they, they can't do those kinds of interpretations. And, you know, when I might say, Oh, you know, they don't like this accommodation and they'll go, Oh, why? You know, <laughs> Well, does it really matter? They don't like it. Yes. <laughs> so we have to find them a new hotel because they have said this, 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 and this. And, you know, oh, but we think it's really nice. I know, but we have to change it. So yeah, let's find, you know, one of the hundred that are out there. Yeah, no, you do choose. have to yeah, open your mind a bit more and recognize that it might frustrate you, that example that, you know, but why? 
you know, that type of thinking does work in Australia or England, but this is Vietnam and we've chosen to be here. So you have to play by their rules. Yes. Absolutely. Um, what I'm thinking here, Kerry, is tourism 2022. I think it was last month or two months ago now. We're recording this early May in March 2022 when borders started to open. And I've seen hints of tourism. I've not really been to, say, the boy ends of this world so much so far, but I know tourism has restarted. What do you see, uh, this might be tricky to answer, the future of tourism in Vietnam from 2022 onwards? Look, I think there's an appetite definitely um, for recovery. Uh, I think the recovery will still be a little bit uh, slow or cautious. Uh, I'm already talking to travel agents again, and there's definitely enthusiasm. Uh, however, no one's putting their money on the booking, if, if you can understand. So people yeah, are definitely expressing interest. And I think it's a little bit uh, about they're wanting to kind of see the transition manifest itself. So they, they're wanting to see the traffic. They're wanting to see the increase in airline frequency and flights. They're wanting to judge just how the um, accommodation is looking, uh, you know, what is still open, you know. So once again, marketing is a very important part. And even what I'm doing with the podcast, you know, what about Vietnam? is kind of a statement and a question as in, you know, people used to say, you know, oh, you know, we go to Bali, we go to here, we go uh, to the Philippines, we go to Thailand. And I used to say, what about Vietnam? So, you know, when I say that now, I say, what about Vietnam? As in, you know, the borders have opened again. And I think, um, I think Vietnam is very keen to, bring back a healthy level of tourism. I do think it, it went a, a little bit nutso, uh, like leading up to the pandemic. I think there is an interest in getting the country to a sustainable level of tourism, better managed. I mean, we may not be seeing in Vietnam as many Chinese tourists as we have. We may not even be seeing any Russians or many Russians. I'm talking to somebody uh, just uh, next week about Nha Trang, which has been traditionally a very uh, attractive resort area for the Russians. I mean, I don't, I don't know. So there's, there's still a lot of questions on the table and certainly what's happening uh, in Ukraine uh, is, you know, is affecting all of us. But as far as resuming travel and how travel moves forward, I'm positive. I'm feeling very positive. I'm booked to come back in September some of my guests that I've got lined up in the next few weeks are talking about some of the aspects of recovery that is certainly enticing and attractive, as in, you know, restaurants that have come back on board in the area of fine dining. Uh, I'm keen to see this new gallery that has opened up in, in Hue, uh, which uh, Bridget shared with uh, me on a show last week. So, even just from my guests, and I'm trying to talk to more that are in Vietnam at the moment, and I'm even going to be talking to you, Connor, about Condao, remember? Uh, we, you know, I, 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 feel the, I feel the positivity in the air, and I feel even back here in Australia talking to travel agents, uh, there is very much uh, an eagerness for them to start selling Vietnam and open the doors back. Uh, because everybody that, you know, that comes to Vietnam, um, 
you know, nine times out of 10 has a, a great experience. Right, I see. And that's the prediction for going forwards in 2022 and beyond. Um, do you think there can be some downsides to this? For example, if you are Russian and there won't be as many uh, or Chinese or any other, I guess, cons to increased tourism. It's great to get people back in Vietnam, of course, to visit and to see. But can there be some downsides? Uh Downsides as into too many or not enough or particular areas or... Yeah, my thoughts were initially too many because now it's been two years. I would assume, and you might be able to tell me more, that people would be dying to get into Vietnam and that would cause a boom. But is that the case or how, how would, would you see it? Uh, look, I think there's some people that think that. I'm probably not one of them. I don't think it'll be uh, fast and furious. I think it will be more. It will be slower and deliberate. I think. Um, I think the whole world has changed just totally uh, philosophically about travel. You know, there's much more thought. We were we were getting on and off planes. Let's face it, pre-COVID, like on and off a bus. It was. You know, the, the whole world was almost visa-free. Um, now we've got much more complications about travel. There's certain uh, age groups that are probably uh, a little bit more fragile than they used to be. So your baby boomers, et cetera, that are a bit more nervous. I mean, I know people that were avid travellers beforehand, uh, before COVID, and now are much more hesitant. And I think it, it's going to take a little while for those to settle down. I mean, the diehards like me and other, others, uh, I think, will definitely be out there again and very keen. But it, it has got more complicated. So I think that complication has to get a little bit more rationalised. And I think, uh, I think there's some talk in Vietnam at the moment that by June, uh, some of the, the levels of uh, entry to the country will be even taken further away. So it'll be so much easier uh, to enter the country. So I think the easier it gets, the more settled um, that will happen. Now, to your question about, you know, is that going to be bad for Vietnam, as in we're going to get too many tourists? Look, I, I hope I hope that's going to get better managed. I think... Um, there was over-tourism, definitely, uh, leading up to the pandemic. And, um, you know, I hear that there's been some great areas of improvement as far as cleaning up the country and areas that have flourished, you know, forests and, and rivers, et cetera, that um, have, you know, kind of been brought back to life because, uh, you know, there hasn't been the, the, the treading uh, of the tourists. So... I hope there's going to be some more sustainability on that on that level so that, you know, there can be a positive imprint. And there's certainly levels within Vietnam tourism and the government talking about that. And I've even been speaking to some of those working groups and people that are steering those committees. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be more thought all around, but I don't want people to miss out on Vietnam. I just, I do think it's a, it's a country to discover. But it's a country also that people kind of tend to hit the main three or four spots and then they go. And I think there's a lot more to Vietnam than those three main destinations. So, 
you know, if we could maybe encourage in our trip planning and our tour advice and, you know, talking about Vietnam, we might kind of broaden the brush so that, um, you know, people come back several times and not just to the same places. Absolutely. No, I love the fact that you've mentioned that about the broadness and the vast amount of areas in Vietnam that can be explored instead of just, say, Da Nang, Ho Chi Minh, Hanoi, for example. There are so many. And it brings me to, I suppose, a hidden gems kind of question. Are there any places that perhaps aren't as popular for tourists that you would expect or that deserve more recognition in Vietnam? And if so, what are they? Yeah, like, it's, it's funny, you know, there definitely is those main destinations that have really um, had extreme exposure on your Instagrams and, you know, your Google sites are just full of images of those places. And yet there's some, and I, I know you and I just talked briefly about Condau, like, it is a hidden gem. Um, there's a place called Delat, and not many people think to go to Delat. And if you went to Delat and you saw everlasting flowers, like flowers that actually never die, I've seen strawberries the size of apples almost there. Uh, you go into the hills and you'd swear to God you're in, you know, some European country. The waterfalls, you know, there's no gating around them. You can put your hands out and you can actually touch the water. It's it's that accessible and it's that beautiful and it's that untouched. But they're not they're not destinations that have been big um, in uh, promotion and social media. I mean, places like Hazang, uh, places like Sapa, uh, places like um, I'm thinking of Ninbin. Now, a lot of people talk about um, Halong Bay, but then they don't talk about Lan Ha Bay and they don't talk about Ninbin as much, where I think Ninbin is even probably even more interesting than Halong Bay. Uh, gosh, I could go on and on. I mean, Phong Na. Now, Phong Na caves uh, came up when they discovered the largest cave in the planet on the planet believe it or not in 2009 oh, wow. and uh you know that's only 2009 connor that's yeah, kind of in yeah. our lifetime you know and i got to talk on the podcast would you believe with one of the guys british guy who was actually part of the group that stumbled like, like they literally stumbled on this cave it's like about you know seven kilometers you can fit big ben in the cave so you know it takes four days to go from one end to the other and you know it's it's starting to capture great interest but it's for your you know your real intrepid adventure caving kind of person but it's opened the world up to there's more to vietnam than just as you say you know the bustling city of um saigon hanoi Hoi An uh, and possibly Da Nang. I mean, people never think about Vietnam, about kite flying. I mean, kite flying, uh, the kite flying capital is, uh, I think in Southeast Asia, one of them is Munay. Nobody told me about that. Nobody told me about there was deserts in Munay. Hello? Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a world discovery too. And that's what I love about it is that 
I haven't been back to Vietnam once and done everything the same. I, I, I managed to go somewhere else. I mean, Quinn Non is a place that has only just come up on the roadmap. Uh, there's now a new uh, ferry system to go to Lison Island. Now, I've been meaning to go to that island for, I think, the last five years, but it was such uh, an awkward trip and you had to get this, this bus and it only ran on certain times and then you had to kind of connect up with the ferry and if it missed the ferry, then you didn't get it. So now there's this straight ferry straight to Lison Island. Guess where I'll also be going and I'll be able to go to that from Hoi An. So, like, my podcast is kind of a discovery tool for me as well. So I'm learning about new destinations as the new destinations are coming on and I'm trying to expose them and give them, you know, the benefit of insights so that, you know, people that have been there or people that are in the process of developing, I'm talking to them. So my listeners kind of get the, the real insights. I don't have to wait for a Lonely Planet guide to come out each year and, you know, hope to God it's got the most up-to-date information. And it, course you can google everything but it's not the same as someone telling you look we went there look don't do that um forget going at that time of the year because it just rains all the time and you miss seeing the best parts and you know so it's it's you know it's like going to ireland isn't it and going to my hair and sometimes you see nothing and then the the fog lifts and other times and it looks fabulous so it's all the benefit of insight absolutely and the clips of mohair i meant Okay. <laughs> One thing we mentioned uh, at the beginning was perhaps leading up to the pandemic over tourism and how it then can be managed from now on. Now tourism is a thing again. How, um, how can tourism be managed in your view, Kerry, to be the most effective possible for Vietnam and avoid, say, over tourism or under tourism or any complications? What do you think are the most effective ways for Vietnam to tackle tourism going forward now? Jeepers, you know, I, I, I need a job on the Vietnam Tourism Board after this because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's coming up on their agenda. Similarly, uh, how do they do that? Look, um, one of the ways where they were starting to, to stem the, the traffic, I guess, of over-tourism was in the free freedom of giving out licences for homestays. I think at one stage in Hoi An alone, and probably I have, I've had more to do with the Quang Nam area than anywhere else. So I can speak more uh, proficiently about that area. So they were, I think they stopped at 318 licenses to have a homestay. And what they learned from stopping that was that they had to put some limit on how many hotels and how many homestays, you know, how many beds were they going to allow in a vicinity? Now, if you look at the, the township of Hoi An, the old town itself, it's only about two and a half kilometres in size. And then if you build all of these, you know, accommodations and you pour it, of, of course you're going to get into trouble as in the city is not going to be able to cope with that traffic you're going to have a trodden city where you're starting to damage it and you're going to ruin that unesco world heritage site so i think there's a look at accommodation and you know there will be some 
uh, import or there's going to be some checking on just how many they're going to allow, how many beds uh, and how many tourists they're going to allow. So there's going to be also, you know, how many flights they're going to let into to certain areas. So, you know, the frequency of flights and the size, I think um, that's going to be another element because they're, that's where your numbers come, accommodation and people into, into airports. So we have to sleep them somewhere. So that, that's probably where it starts. And then they'll look at, you know, eateries and, and things like that to, to manage that. I mean, over-tourism is definitely a, pro, a problem to the environment. I mean, there's enough studies around the world to verify that. But how each government manages it around the world is, is very different, is very unique. And even within Vietnam, because there's so many provinces each province tends to manage their own tourism, their own way under their own guidance or jurisdiction as they see fit. So there's not, you know, anything particularly consistent, but there is working parties and groups. And, and thankfully, I've got some good ears into those. And, you know, I am hearing some, some, good, some good noise out of those that they are going to be looking at at licensing and, and just how they can manage, you know, the footsteps around Vietnam. Absolutely. And I suppose coming towards the end of the conversation, Kerry, this might be tricky again, and I feel like we have alluded to it at points, but what would your ideal scenario be in for Vietnam, say 2022, three and four? What ideally would you like to see happen? In respect to... In respect to the tourism reopening and what that would mean for the country. Look, you know, I, I, I think they're not even going to have to work very hard at a at a slow uh, intake of tourism. I think that's just going to happen organically. I think um, them making it easy for people to enter the country. Uh, but keeping the visa level under some jurisdiction. I mean, you'll notice that they pretty much put it back to what it was uh, prior to COVID. So for those 80 countries, you can come for 15 days, uh, but for the other countries, your maximum stay uh, under a visa application is 30 days. So, you know, during COVID, there was a, a lot of expats that had to leave the country because they weren't there kind of essentially legally. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, workers that were working there and taking Vietnamese jobs. Uh, so they've also had to leave. So in some ways, COVID's been a bit of a godsend for Vietnam to, to clean Vietnam. I mean, Vietnam's got, you know, 90, 96 plus million population. So it's got a thriving domestic tourism aspect to it and it's also a thriving country so even its own domestic travel is on a boom and there are more Vietnamese traveling even just this holiday I think you even said recently I heard you talk uh, to somebody and saying you know you want to go where everywhere everyone else isn't going because it's yes. going to be that crowded yeah so I'm, I'm hoping that and there is a push on trying to broaden the scope of travel experiences for, for people and for operators to take a very sustainable approach. So in other words, instead of before 
them having a group of 30 or 35 people, they, their maximum might be 20. So that they will take smaller groups. I'd like to see that uh, happen in the future so that the people in the groups are getting a better experience and we're not bringing too many in at the same time. I think I'd like to see uh, a growth in the development of the hospitality industry in the training area. And I think uh, that's also going to happen of its own accord because it's by demand. I mean, uh, I'm hearing in Ho Chi Minh City, there's a lot of hotels that just can't get manpower back because, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs. They went home to their families and villages to kind of wait it out. And so I think the, you know, there's going to have to be an investment and certain hotel groups, I think, are going to step up to that because they'll see the opportunity. So, we, you know, we've got some good things in quality coming back. I'd like to see that. I would like to see the growth in social enterprise as well because I really like uh, wherever I can uh, see the growth in um, the minority groups and, and the support of those minority groups in a very, you know, healthy, wholesome and supportive way. So it gives back to those communities. I'd like to see more of that. But once again, that won't be throngs of people. That'll be a group of six. That'll be a maximum of 12, that kind of thing. We won't, you know, I don't think it's, there's going to be the, the big bus loads. And, you know, a lot of those bus loads were coming from China. So I, I'm kind of on a watch, wait and see whether or not, you know, we will get the Chinese back in as they were the number one uh, tourist group to Vietnam. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I consider in that round table, Connor, uh, with those working party groups in tourism uh, any day of the week with all my wish list. But um, I think, you know, the, there's a lot of players in the field. Um, there's a lot of money uh, that's, that's being kind of discussed as far as development is concerned. So it's a little bit, you know, wait and see. Right, I see. And a new tradition I have on this podcast, Kerry, is asking the guest a question, which is, has there been a question that I've not asked you that you would have liked me to? Um, well, I thought we were going to talk a little bit more about podcasting. And mm. I thought we were going to kind of share some of the aspects of you know, what do you, what do you know about Vietnam travel from a podcast? Right. I see. And we did allude to that briefly where we spoke about people uh, from different avenues doing different topics based on their experiences. But what have you found out specifically about Vietnam from your podcast then, Kerry? What about Vietnam? What have you discovered? Well, obviously I've discovered a lot of new places and new experiences, but what I've also discovered is more about how people are consuming information you know like is everybody totally dependent on the one source does everybody just google the place or you know would you think to go to a podcast uh, that was about travel specifically about Vietnam because there's not many travel podcasts and there's not many just about Vietnam. In fact, I think I'm one of the rare few. There is Southeast Asian travel podcasts and there's very mixed mixed travel podcasts across lots of den destinations. But there's not many just about Vietnam. Did you notice that? 
Yeah, I only saw, I'd class 7 million bikes, a Vietnam podcast, because that's what it's called. There's your own. There's Vietcetera. Yeah, I can't think of any more. But they're not travel specific. No, that's true. That is true, yeah. They are broad, broad based, and they are, you know, certainly talking about stories about people related, but they are not about travel experiences. And that I found kind of, you know, amazing. I mean, I'm glad I've got that niche, but, uh, you know, is that because people, you know, don't relate to a podcast to be informative about travel or they want to see things or I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? I'd be keen to know. Yeah, I would think it's because people would probably rather Google or rather look at Instagram. This is just what's coming to me on the top of my head rather than listening to a podcast about it. Unless I was, say, friends or I knew the podcast host, for example, or I was aware of guests who'd been on. So, you know, I would probably say that's the reason why people aren't quite going to podcasts for this information or they'd probably look for YouTube. I mean, you can type in visiting Vietnam on YouTube and there'll be thousands of videos with lots and lots of hits compared to podcasts. That's my current opinion. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting one because, you know, you're right. If you type in Google to, um, you know, visiting Vietnam or traveling to Vietnam, there's blogs, there's vlogs, there's, you know, YouTubes, but they're all kind of, you know, just someone either selling a tour or there is, uh, you know, somebody's just done a holiday video of their trip to uh, Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh or the Mekong Delta or something like that. So it's two minutes and bang. So there's not much in this space. So I, I wondered whether it was good to kind of inform your listeners that that's why I've kind of expanded the podcast situation so that I also include a transcript. So if you'd prefer to read about a place, there's a full transcript, which is in a PDF format so that you can print it off. So you can read about the place or the experience. You can highlight it. You can do whatever. And also I do small like teaser elements. So audio grants. So the person I'll grab something and I go, God, that was really interesting. And I'll just grab a two minute snippet. I do a full episode on YouTube and I'm also moving to curate special kind of experiences, et cetera, which will have visual aspects on the site. So hopefully I'm going to fill the visual gap because I think the visual gaps about the only gap I can see in this channel, for want of a better word. What sure. do you think? And, and where can we find out more about what you do, Kerry? How can we access your work? Uh, well, obviously, you can go to the website, whataboutvietnam.com. You can certainly find me on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Kerry Newsom, and also the What About Vietnam uh, podcast page on the LinkedIn site. You can also check me out on Instagram and Facebook. Excellent. Uh, So I I would love feedback from people because, you know, my audience is growing dramatically. I've got nearly 20,000 listeners already just in two years. I do publish fortnightly, but I'm really keen to get people to give me their feedback. What do they want to know? What do they want me to, to get someone to talk about because they're interested in going to Vietnam and they want to have it 
particular experience. Absolutely. Have you any final thoughts, Carrie, before we wrap up? No, I just want to say uh, fantastic what you're doing, Connor. Really love your episodes. Uh, I really wish you well. And um, maybe we can catch up when I'm there in September. Absolutely. I'd love nothing more. Definitely explore some of Ho Chi Minh, see what it has to offer and see how you find coming back after a long break. Kerry, I've really enjoyed. Keep up the good work and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Connor.